Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. From the Gert Boyle Studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. In a recent survey, 40% of Oregon parents said that they or their partner had to quit, turn down, or greatly change their job in the last year because of difficulty finding childcare. The study also found that families of color and those who speak a language other than English were more likely to be impacted. It's just the latest study to show that the high cost and the limited availability of child care slots continue to present major challenges for parents in Oregon. Catherine Pears is senior scientist and science director at the Oregon Social Learning Center. That's a nonprofit research institute in Eugene that conducted the survey. She joins us now. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Can you remind us why the state asks you to do these surveys? The state has been really interested in understanding what um, parents of kids who are age zero to five really need in terms of childcare, um, whether they're getting, whether they need it, but they want, as well as what kinds of um, barriers they're experiencing when they're trying to find childcare. So they've done a series of surveys um, starting in 2019. Um, This latest one that we're talking about today was done last at the end of last year. Let's turn to this 40% 40% finding, which is really one of the, the, the most striking ones. What are the questions you ask to get at the connection between employment and child care? Well, really, you, you've said it right there is that we were interested in knowing, you know, just straight out if, if families had had any sort of need to, to stop employment or not do um, another job that they wanted to take because of disruptions or inability to find childcare. And so when we asked straight up, and that hasn't been a question that we'd asked before, so this was new this year, we found that 40% of the families were really were struggling. What are the different scenarios that could all be included in this? I mean, for example, what might it mean for someone to to greatly change their job because of a lack of access to childcare? Well, I think we've heard from families that, you know, there are often times when they would perhaps have a job that had um, less normal and I or typical, I think is probably the better term, but you know, not the nine to five that we think of and the the seven to six that that a lot of um, child care programs run. And so say they had a better a better paying job that happened to be shift work, but they couldn't find care for those for those evening hours or for hours that are kind of out of that usual zone. And we know that work takes place outside of those hours, but there, you know, there often isn't care during that time. Is that, um, I mean, how common is it for there to be childcare that would actually um, say be from, I don't know, two to 8 PM. Mm -hmm. Awfully uncommon. Um, When we do see the, the, the kinds of programs that are most likely to offer those sort of out of time times are um, home based and family based programs that you know are are often run out of an individual's home, um, and 
you know, are, are more likely to have the ability to stretch those hours or might more likely to be willing to do that for hmm. sure. How much of this, the, the, the employment repercussions is a question of the price of childcare as opposed to the number of slots or the hours for those slots? That is a very good question, and I'm not sure that I can answer it definitively. What I can say is that when we ask parents to tell us what what's working well for them or what's not working well, top on the list of things that are not working well are cost, for sure. Um, the second thing that kind of co- that comes up was the number of arrangements that parents need to get the childcare they need, and so that means that, like you know. Parents could have an infant and a toddler and a five-year-old, and all of those kinds of care are very different. And there may be there may be fine slots for preschoolers like a toddler and a and a five-year-old, but infant care is very hard to get. And so, you know, they may have to drop their infant off at one program across town and then drop their kids, their other two kids off elsewhere. And so, you know, that puts a huge burden on parents and takes a lot of time. So that's like the second biggest reason. And then third when they're asked about it, the third largest reason is the hours that care are available. So, I mean, those those are the three major big culprits, let's say, in terms of being barriers for parents to have care. Hmm. Um, so to, to, to zero in on the first one, on cost, mm-hmm. I mean, what what does the, the average child care slot cost in Oregon right now? It depends on the age of the child. And um, it's, you know, it's, I, I'm, unfortunately, I don't have that data right at my fingertips, but it's, you know, it's too high for, for many parents to, to be able to afford. I mean, we know that's in the thousands and we hear a lot from parents who say that, you know, by the time they pay for childcare, it's not worth them having the employment because the employment, the money that they're getting from their employment is not covering the child care. Right. If it costs, say, yeah. $40,000 um, for... For childcare, and you make forty thousand um, yeah. dollars. What are you doing? What's yeah, exactly. Hmm. Let's turn to to demographics. Mm. What groups have been hit hardest in, in terms of access to childcare? When you ask, or when we, you know, when we talk about um, who is able, whose whose employment is suffering, we definitely see families of color. Um, who have higher rates of saying that they've they've had to change their jobs, or um, and families of um, families whose primary home language is not English, as well as families with children who have um, developmental disabilities or delays or chronic medical needs. So families who are already um, historically due to systematic to systemic issues as well as other issues, you know, already at a disadvantage. And so having having to struggle for child care is is putting yet a further burden on them and their abilities to to retain employment. I just want to remind folks, if you're just tuning in, we are talking right now about the lack of child care in Oregon. And I should note that we're actually going to be talking about Multnomah County's preschool for all program in front of an audience tomorrow evening. If you want to be in that audience, it's going to be from 5 to 6 p.m. at the Rockwood Market Hall on Southeast 185th Avenue in Gresham. You can reserve seats right now through the Evite link on Facebook. We are at 
OPBTOL. We're talking with Catherine Pears right now, Senior Scientist and Science Director for the independent nonprofit Oregon Social Learning Center. One of the new topics you looked into for this survey is expulsions from preschools or daycare centers or or kids maybe temporarily being uh, told that they that they can't attend these these locations. What are the reasons that might happen? The primary and number one reason when you ask parents why their child was asked to leave care is um, that they were told by their staff, by the providers that, that the, they could not provide them with services. Um, and, and generally that means that they couldn't manage the child's behavior towards children or adults. Um, that's the primary reason. The second reason, um, which – so. That reason is, is the, the not managing behavior for children or adults is about a third of all parents who had a child asked to leave care came, talked about that. And then um, the other reasons are things like not being able to meet their health or physical care needs, not being able to meet their develop, the children's developmental needs. Um, so, but when you ask parents and when you ask providers themselves, because we have done that, it's, it's behavioral um, most of the time. How common is this? Well, if you ask parents, um, you find that about 9% of, of their, the children had been asked to leave care in the past year. If you ask providers themselves, which we've done in another series of, of surveys that we have done over the past several years, the number is about 20% of programs will say that they've asked a child to leave. So those are slightly different numbers, hmm. um, but they're high. <laughs> I mean, we don't want any child to leave, but, you know, bordering on 10% of children being asked to leave care, that's high. You know, we've talked on this show, and I think there's been a, a societal discussion about uh, exclusions from K-12 school systems. Mm-hmm. But I feel yes. like there's a lot less attention to, to earlier exclusions like this. Why is this important? Well, um, you're absolutely right. There's been a lot less attention. And in fact, I've been told by people that, you know, people don't know preschoolers don't get expelled. And that's wrong. They do. Um, sometimes, as you, you mentioned earlier, it's under a different name, like, oh, you need to take a break or, oh, we can't really meet your child's needs. But that is still asking them to leave care. And what you're doing is setting up already. I mean, the reasons that it is not good for for the K through 12 level children are the same reasons that it's not good for your preschoolers. You're depriving them of having experiences, uh, early learning experiences from which they might benefit. You are um, potentially labeling them early as being problematic, which is going to then follow them. And, you know, you're doing, you're having the same kinds of effects on their parents that it would have on a K through 12 parent, but probably in some ways maybe worse because, there is, you know, if if a child can't go back to care, and we asked families, and in about 25% of the cases where children were asked to leave care, the kids did not return to any kind of care. Hmm. So then those parents, their employment is interrupted. They have to find another way to be able to work um, and be employed. At the same time, I imagine that the people who are running these centers, whether it's, say, home-based or um, at a larger location – they don't want to be um, to be expelling these these mm-hmm. young people from their systems. I imagine they're saying 
we did this because um, we don't have, say, the resources to assure the safety of the other young people or of our staff. What did you hear from people who are running these centers about these decisions? Well, we do hear, I mean, when we ask them about it, as I said, the, the biggest challenge is in children's behavior. And and you're right. I mean, nobody is is working in the early education, early childhood education um, arena unless they have a passion for helping children and families. It's not it's not paid well well enough. They they these providers really do care. Um and what we see is a need. I mean, providers also know that they need help with with challenging behaviors. Again, if you ask them, about 50% of providers will tell you that they have in the past year needed help with behavior that they've seen to be challenging. So um, again, they they're asking for help. They're not they're not doing this without without thinking about it. Um, I do want to just say that one of the very interesting parts of what we found when we ask parents and providers about levels of expulsion is that family and home-based programs actually have much lower levels of asking children to leave. And um, yes, they're smaller, but they actually often have smaller numbers of staff. And so that that finding, we haven't unpacked it yet. It needs to be unpacked a little bit more, but it does suggest that there's something there to be learned from those programs that are smaller, where providers might have more time to talk with parents, that where they might have more of a relationship built up with parents, so they can they can address issues as they come up. Hmm. Um, is that is that your 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 best theory right now? I know your I mean your your title is all about science. You're a scientist yeah. and science director, so I imagine you're not crazy about conjecture not based on data. Correct. But 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 what is your your theory now? Because it's it's a fascinating finding, and I can I guess I might have imagined the opposite that in a home based center, a smaller one, there'd be maybe less tolerance for behavior that that falls outside of of the established norms. And I can imagine people saying, "Sorry, just not not on my home. I can't have this here." Mm-hmm. So why do you think it's different? I think there are a couple of reasons. I think that idea that there's a relationship, that there's just more time, you know, it's a smaller, smaller number of children, smaller numbers of families attending, and there's more perhaps time to talk with parents and, and, um, you know, share what's going on, maybe more tolerance for being able to work out a solution together. When we talk to families about, um, you know, what happens in the process of leading up to having a kid asked to leave, we do find that a lot of times they feel like they were kind of blindsided. And so having that communication. The other thing that I think is really important to recognize in this is that when we talk to families of color and families who are speaking languages other than English and families with children who are experiencing disabilities or chronic medical needs, they talk about a lack of being able to find programs that reflect their cultural or linguistic backgrounds or are able to work with their children. And they, in fact, often talk about family and home-based care as being the places where they can find that kind of cultural and linguistic responsivity. And we know, and it's in the data, that children of color are being expelled and suspended from programs at higher rates than white children. And I think that Putting all those things together, families of color facing systemic racism, systemic discrimination may find a place in these home and family-based 
sent programs that where they find cultural responsivity and where they might find um, you know folks who who are able to to work with their children because they share a, soldier, so a cultural background and may be less likely to see certain behaviors as problematic. And hmm. so, you know, I think that also may be a big a big um, driver of that particular statistic. You, and all of that is worth exploring more. Hmm. You've done similar family surveys now in 2019, 2021. Mm-hmm. Are there significant shifts that you've seen over the course of that time? Um, in suspension expulsion or in no, general? No, broadly, because broadly. I, I think this is the, it's the first time I think that you've looked into um, suspensions and expulsions. Oh no, we've looked into it. We've been we've been charting it since 2019. Oh, okay. So it has actually increased over time. Hmm. Um, not by huge leaps and bounds, but these are very these are small numbers. So even if you get a one or two percent increase, it's 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 big. It's worth considering. So suspension expulsion has increased over time. Um, what we found is, I mean, unfortunately, and as your listeners and and a lot of parents probably know, is there isn't hasn't been that much movement in things like are things getting better in terms of cost or availability. Um, the the same issues cost availability keep propping up over time. Um, so there isn't a lot of movement yet in those those um, particular issues. Where we do see some, some good stuff happening, particularly since the pandemic, is that families are finding it easier to get services that they need. And one really interesting finding from the pandemic was that when, when COVID hit, and, and centers closed down, families, particularly those families in most need, so families with lower incomes, families of color, were getting a lot of services from their um, their childcare program that they really needed. So they were picking up meals, they were getting supplies like diapers and other things. So that I think was just looking over time, showing us how important childcare can be as a safety net for some families. Hmm. And that it's just not about all, not all about the children. It's about the families as well. What's happening at the state level in response to these? You know, every two years we get these um, pretty stark and scary reports. Has it led to policy changes? Well, the state, I, the state of Oregon, has been very good about putting money into early childhood. Um, you know, they certainly have the. Uh, state-funded pre-K programs. And one of the really, I think, nice things about the Preschool Promise program, which is state-funded preschool pre-K slots, is that that's a mixed delivery system. So the slots can be within center-based care or they can be within family and home-based care. So they really are giving families options about the type of care that they want. And that's not something that you see very often in state-funded care. Um, they're also at the moment working to to um, they have a suspension expulsion prevention program that they're working on in terms of really working on helping providers be able to have the resources they need to to be able to work with children and families when there are challenges. Um, I also think that you know one of the ways that we might be able to augment their state and federal funding, but you know, when we start to talk about employment, the folks using 
employees are also the corporations and a lot of private funding that could come in here and do some and and do some good in terms of subsidizing some being able to subsidize childcare slots and get childcare slots available to their employees. And some of that is happening across the state. For sure in Lane County, there's a there's a move to have the United Way of Lane County has funded a position with the Chamber of Commerce where, you know, they're working to get businesses involved in in, in funding childcare slots and in helping, in fact, accelerate small childcare businesses. Um, and I think it's time, you know, to get more of that private those, to, those employers involved in this as well. Catherine Pears, thanks very much. Thank you. Catherine Pears is Senior Scientist and Science Director for the Oregon Social Learning Center.